You're listening to the voice of Howard Stern. Hello, you rotten little mudsucker. This is Alice Cooper. Hey, this is Justin from NSYNC. This is Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, hey, baby. Hellers the king. Oh. Hi, this is Jack. Just back up from the border for a short visit. You know what I'm talking about, pal? Welcome to another edition of The Horse's Mouth. You're in The Horse's Mouth and my name is John Teague. Whoever you are out there in the world, thanks for tuning in. You're in for a treat today. You are in for a treat today, tonight. I don't even know. You could be um, listening to this day or night, anywhere. It's, um, I'll just say today because it's today right now. The sun's shining. Um, so today I had the good fortune of talking to Glenn Casey. Now, Glenn Casey is uh, a hell of a guy. He's a humanitarian. He's an activist. He is um, someone who has definitely been in there swinging in the trenches and wrestling his own, you know, good and bad wolf, so to speak. Um, I won't go into that too much. I'll, he, he goes into it enough. Um, and I love that kind of, I love that talk. I love that battle because it's in all of us, you know, that battle. Now, um, I'm having a bit of a battle myself at the moment. Um, today, 45 days, I haven't had a ciggy for. Now, I don't know, the, you, people that know me would be like, well, you don't smoke, but like, honestly, I didn't really, but I couldn't stop socially smoking. And so therefore, if you were a friend of mine that smoked, then I saw you and I'd always scab one off you. Uh, that that would be it. I'd, it's like, you know, like see, see and do. I'd see someone smoking and think, I want to do that. Uh, I like that. I don't drink anymore. I was looking for anything just to um, feel cool, cool. Uh, smoking's not cool. <laughs> Smoking looks fucking cool on television. Or I don't know if you've seen the new Tarantino movie, but smoking seems pretty fucking cool when Leonardo and Brad Pitt are just chain smoking all the whole way through. But the reality is smoking's not cool. But um, so I've put that down, 45 days, bang. But I've taken up Nickabait. Nickabait Chewy, Nickabait Tic Tacs. And they're wonderful. I love them. Um, <laughs> that and coffee. Try and get in between us. Um, anyway, uh, back to Glenn. So stoked to have him in here. Case, thank you so much for coming around. Um, Case was at the forefront of, of Patagonia coming into Australia. He opened the very first Patagonia store here in Torquay. And, um, and you know, I'll let him divulge that story to you. So, anyway, without further ado, um, here's Glenn Casey. Is, is interesting? Wow. Wait till you hear two hours of crap. A complete and total barfarama. Well, yeah, it's a nice thing to be, uh, you know, free of that, that, I mean, there's many good and bad addictions. There's good addictions. You know, there's surfing, which is a good addiction. But the, the drinking is, yeah, it's a tough one. It, it, it really does take you places you... You shouldn't go, I reckon. Oh, I can, my theory. No, no, no. I, I, look, I, I, we've been honest on that one. Then I'm just going to say, yeah, I clipped it because I couldn't control whether I was going to have two or wake up somewhere four days later. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and, and, and the distraction yeah. in that blackout. Yeah. Which well, usually towards myself. Yeah, but yeah. And, you know, all the, all the esoteric people talk about 
you know, detachment and, and getting back from your passions and the things that kind of drive you and you have all those those things inside of you, whether it's, you know, and so the the thing, what I call now, I call those things my addictions from a, from a, a subtle point of view or, you know, from a really gross point of view, which is, you know, the, the, the good and the bad and, the, and, and all the stuff in between is that some of those things, um, you know, are just really not good for you and they're not good for the planet. So when you say um, not good for you, meaning like they take you away from the centre of who you are into an idea of something else that you think you should be or uh, and you can put that into a global state yeah you could, yeah yeah well well i mean in um and i don't want to get too kind of too no, do religious or whatever you oh, know yeah, is yeah. that there's this discernment of voices and the and the voices in your head you know and it seems like it's connected to the body so what you're putting in, in the body you know, tends to build a character, a type of a voice in your head. So that voice tends to drive lots and lots and of experiences in your life. And those experiences, whether they're, you know, good or bad or whatever, um, they're either turning you into a good guy or they're kind of turning you into a bit of a negative bad guy, you know, and, and um, they're not light and the dark and, the you know, all the, all the different colourings in between. You know, and, and so those those things that you just got to, at some point, and I think the 20s, you're allowed to go completely nuts. I think the 30s, you got to kind of pull back a little bit. And in the 40s, sometimes, you you know, like they say the midlife crisis, you kind of get the red Ferrari and you you get all sorts of, you know, the big bag of Coke and yeah. the hot the hot girlfriend with the fake titties and yeah. off you go, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the midlife crisis. Yeah, yeah. And off you go. And, then, and, then and that's the, the white wall. Yeah. <laughs> There's, there's, there's a lot of consuming in there. You know, yeah. There's a lot of money getting spent on, um, you know, some pretty pretty good toys. But um, you know, but if you set back and and you know, me being in my, my late fifties now, you know, you start to look at the health of the body and the the end of the road and the longevity that you kind of have towards it. And um, and then it comes down to you know getting healthy. And um, and I've had my you know my wax at you know all that stuff. But essentially. You know, if you can get a bit of space and, you know, as we've just agreed that drinking wasn't that good for you and me, um, is that you get space on one of those addictions and everything. Well, normally, you know, some other addiction will kind of try and jump in that little space because it's very comfortable. You've built a really nice couch and in your head there's this this room for this next thing, you know. And so what do you build? What do you put in there? You know, do you, you know, do you actually, you know, do you put something like, you know, dope, or you know, do you put cigarettes in there, or do you, you know, do you gambling, put surfing, sex. or gambling, sex, or <laughs> <laughs> it's whack a mole, yeah, 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 this yeah. one's pop, fuck, <laughs> yeah. I've, oh, I'm into gardening. I've, I've, yeah, I found a really good strip club in Geelong. You know, that's that's the next one. You know, and yeah, so yeah. yeah, you know, you just got to be really careful. Uh, you know, and 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 it, and it is easy just to fall into that association. You know, and and uh, with with another thing in your head, and away you go. So you just lost in another another part of the road that you're walking down. That you know is not really kind of um, feeding the good thing in your life, which is you know the good things and nature and you know surfing and good People. friends and love and children and family and all those wonderful driving forces that make the end of the road really nourishing and mm. really happy. 
you know um at some point you know and i see a lot of my friends now their bodies are falling apart you know their lives are falling apart and their mind game is falling apart you yeah, know they're, yeah. they're mentally not going that well um do you have kids i got one yeah yeah it was a long wait yeah and mum was you know there was a bit of pressure finally you know when i hit 50 she's like uh, yeah. are you, are you gonna give me a you know a child <laughs> yeah. a granddaughter you know yeah, yeah. and uh so yeah i had my um my beautiful little girl when i was 50 and she's nearly eight and so i'm nearly 58 um well that must be a hugely rewarding sort of journey unto itself yeah yeah and yeah i mean a lot of a lot of changes come in with that you know you got this little amazing little spirit in your care and um you've got to be a good teacher you got to be a good guide and um yeah for a while there i wasn't you know i was waking up you know with you know red lipstick from two bottles of red wine and you know um and you know making kind of emotional you know disturbances instead of giving her a really happy life you know so yeah you 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 know and so yeah they they you don't want to hand those things you know those you don't hand those behaviors on to them as much as you can be idealistic and say oh you know I don't drink that much. I only have a couple of beers, and you know, um, and that's fine if you can handle it. I couldn't. I couldn't. I'd be, you know, sitting back, you know, after work having four or five beers, and then the red wine had come out with the, you know, the the food, and and um, and then the yeah. Well, I think the, the more you climb that mountain, right? So you're going like okay, a mountain age, I suppose, mm. uh, whatever it is, life trajectory, and then you go, you know, in your twenties, you say you get away with it. I love surfing, I love drinking, I love all the good times. Yeah. And then that scale sort of weirdly gets weird. Yeah. And the thing that you love, the surfing part that was always the thing that probably saved you in the end, uh, starts slipping because the uh, the counterbalance to the love of the good time in other bad ways, not evil, fuck mm. whatever, because there was pretty good time for a while. Um, and, and the first time that I really sort of saw the mortality part in it was when I read that book, Barbarian Days. Oh, I just bought it. Yeah. I'm well, I won't wreck it for you. <laughs> but I just, he, he talks about his own journey. You know, it's yeah. his life. Yeah. And you sort of get, he writes so beautifully that you yeah. just go like, this guy was a fucking charger. Yeah. And he then he st- talks about the, the struggle of keeping. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah, keeping on the road. And yeah. there's great loss when the body does you know shut down and a lot of people with their you know their struggle with diet and food and exercise and all that they can shut down pretty early so you know before even halfway through your life you've got a bad hip or a bad knee or a bad back um and then you're in the mind game because then you've got to get on top of these things and stay positive and and work your way through it um because if you don't you know your life is a bucket of shit you are you are really you're all the things that you had that what you would call the happy the happy moment okay you walk out of a really beautiful surf at four to six foot winky and you're on the beach and you're you're pretty happy you know you're pretty fucking stoked (laughs) (laughs) and the next day someone says oh you're gonna get a hip operation and you can't do that anymore you know and i just did three years of that um i went through double hip surgery double double hip surgery that's, um, that's not consecutive. Is that like they do uh, one and well, the other? Or? <laughs> yeah, they do it like a six-month break. So they get you, they kind of get you in and, you know, 
chop you up and you, you, you virtually you're like a you're, you're like an old you know um like an old Holden you know an FJ Holden <laughs> panel builder comes in and just starts rearranging the the panels and the you know the axles and all the yeah so they rebuild you um but it took about a year of working out you know that I can't fix it and that the arrogance of that and uh, and then finally um working out that I better go and see a, a proper sports medicine guy and um he ultrasound me and said mate you got you know he said to me he goes you got the same hips as andy irons the, the, the rest in peace andy irons but you two have these egg-shaped hips which are really yeah they're just uh susceptible to um cartilage wear so and he had bad hips too yeah he had oh. the same hips as mine even though he didn't have hip operations but he had and you only get a certain amount of movement and i've done yoga all my life and i've wondered why i couldn't do all these great yeah. postures yeah. you know and the yoga the yoga master slapping me over the head but you know now i i, I ring them all up and say well it was because of my deformed yeah. hips i couldn't do those postures well, it wasn't because of the tins <laughs> the night before <laughs> <laughs> exactly so you know come come and so then you go through the the operations which happened over 12 months um and then there's about a year recovery so how, three how, years how out, was your psychology through that it's not good because at the start of it, um, I was yeah using the crutches and the external kind of um, postures to you know drinking and and not surfing and just getting fat and you know my, my tummy looked like the new Bell's Beach Brewery and you know there's <laughs> <laughs> this full sewage tank full of you know whatever else um, and then you yeah you start to seek out you know kind of these um, platforms of external happiness that that doesn't it just does not um sustain you in your quiet moments you know so you got to be happy with you just sitting there doing fuck all you know and and i wasn't i was sitting there just in this world of pain mentally because there was a great loss i had i was angry um you know and and i was yeah i was basically i didn't know how to get out of it and a lot of men get in these places Huge amounts of huge amounts of suicide for whatever reason, you know, men's health, and especially men, because it's a much higher percentage of death rate in men. It's spooky. It's they don't spooky. put it in the media, but it's it's very hush hush. But do you know what, what the numbers are? It's like seventy percent. It's like seventy percent of men, you know, um, and thirty percent of women. In, and I don't know what the numbers are, but I was, um, you know, how many men or people people kill themselves it's frightening when you hear the number someone said it to me the other day and i was just floored yeah yeah and a lot of people checking out um because they can't deal with this thing sitting on your shoulders you know the head the head is a a massive old tape recording of things gone by and and as you go through you know when i had a little surf yesterday morning sitting there on the little cliff that i sat on when i was 14 you know and i was staring out at sparrows and you know, thinking about how... Did you go down the old stairs on that little... Yeah, yeah. on that little platform yeah. there and, and just sat there and stared out and just went, wow, me and my mate Wilbur, who's passed away, he died of an asthma attack. And my other mate, Eddie Hart, um, when we were grommets, you know, walked over from the caravan park and and I went, wow, you know, where did that, you know, 44 years go? You know, we were 15 and, and, um, and so, yeah, now... You know, sitting around um, dealing with, you know, like I said, the last part of the road and all the mental health stuff in between, and and all the decisions that 
you know, you and all things that happen in your life, um, you know, it now gets down to, you know, how how good, you know, how good the road can be. Um, how good can you make it, even if you haven't got good hips or even if you haven't, how do you, how do you mentally make, make the game, you know, how do you, of life, how do, you, how do you make that happy? And it, 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 look, essentially, you know, it's family and love and friendships and having people come around and, you know, you see people quadriplegics and they, they, they look like the happiest, most centred, soulful people that you could ever want to meet, you know. Um, I think the more that you bring it back to that centre point, mm. you start to appreciate the smaller things. Yeah. It's a cup of tea, yeah. a chat, you know, yeah. uh, just seeing an old friend. It's like that they really mean a lot more. And I and I, I think out of the three years of, you know, then, you know, going to India, um, don't going to an Ayurvedic clinic and doing a clean out and getting. So when you say Ayurvedic, so Ayurvedic is science of life. It's a system that the Indians have used for thousands of years, ten thousand years. So Ayur uh, Veda, it, it's it's it, the Vedas were one of the earliest scriptures, and the Ayur means a science of of of, of a type of a philosophy in health wise um and so it's a holistic thing so it's food body you know um cleansing detoxing so it's 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 the it's the one-stop shop and so i went to coimbatore and sat in there for a month and you know ate dal and little bits of rice and starved myself and had enemas and you know all that crazy stuff and you're hanging around here you know there's people in there that have been on heroin for you know 20 years and people on tobacco and all sorts of and it wasn't I wasn't there for my addictive I wanted to reset mm. I wanted to sit down with myself and finally go um okay um you know you, you're just about through this hip thing where do you want to go for the last third of your life you know so, so how long ago were you there I was there in January so just recent yeah and I was you know kind of I, I've always been into that yogic kind of philosophy since the early days I was Fortunate enough to um, meet a man called Simon Buttonshaw, who was just incredible. Well, the biggest influence in my life, you know, was Simon. He gave me so much stuff when I was a kid. I used to sit there and watch him paint, and um, you know, and uh, and then he, you know, talk about you know the Vedic systems, and 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 he he got it, um, you know, ten or fifteen years earlier with um, Prabhupada, a very um, amazing spiritual person that came over from india and so he spent a lot of time there and um so he was he you know when you're young you know and you're directionless and you're not sure which way you're gonna go he was he was you know kind of like this called him like the angel that kind of landed you know in my um in my stubby my stubby holder yeah and went all right we you know there's another road over here that you can go you don't have to be kind of one of those you know crazy dudes that you know, get pissed and fall asleep on, on a bush and Which you know, is the norm. wake up at 10 the next morning with sunburnt face. You, yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Hey, hey, red face guy. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't quite get it, get it going on last night, did you? Go to like a sunburnt tan of a devil chest income. <laughs> yeah. You forgot the 4 a.m. sunscreen, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, so he, um, yeah, it was a wonderful time and um, he, um, you know, he was really good mates with Wayne, um, Wayne Lynch, and introduced me to Wayne, and and then we had um, John Darby 
so Darbs kind of – and we were kind of like the four musketeers and we, we went away and, and just did all this really cool stuff. But, you know, so Simon never around. drank though, right? Simon never drank. And Simon never drank. Were no. you, did you always think, oh, I wish I could just not or were you just like too locked in? To be honest, back then he was such an influence that I didn't really drink that much either. You know, it was like there was – yeah, there was other things that, you know, there was, you know, obviously – you know, I was so totally addicted to surfing and I was totally addicted to just going down the coast and, yeah. you know, disappearing and sleeping in the car and getting up and going surfing. But um, I I think, yeah, I, I think he just showed me a road that you could live your life through and a philosophy that you could, you know, hang on to like a, like a toolbox that, you know, you, you needed to break a hole in a wall or break a hole in your mind somewhere. You could do it and... Um, and these were the tools to do it with, you know. Um, and I think that's what's lacking a little bit, um, probably a little bit in Western society that, that, you know, we don't have these really good mentors and these really good people that um, can get the youth through all the dangerous things that are on the market back then. I mean, back then we were, you know, yeah, we had mushrooms and we had bloody, you know, we, had, we all tested the... Um, LSD that was around, and we all, you know, we just all smoked dope, it. and yeah, <laughs> tested, tested it. it about ninety <laughs> times. We tested it, <laughs> um, but you know, we 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 they were they were sort of reasonably um, enlightening kind of things, you know. Whereas yeah. today, you know, I see some of my friends' kids going through all sorts of problems with the, the chemical, you know, the pharmaceutical um, aspect of you know everyday life in 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 the world getting on the ice or getting on these really harsh things ketamine and all these i'm going what the what a ketamine what's that Horse you know and it's a, yeah and i'm like where did this thing come from and why would you want to be on that you know can i and, just tell you um i'll just tell you a little quick experience of my own yeah. with ketamine yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was back it was 15 years ago but i walked into a mate's place down here we won't say names and i thought it was uh well i thought it was a line of coke <laughs> And he goes, just help yourself. And it was after the bird rock. And I just went, oh, which is the biggest? Yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. And uh, I lost my vision. And I honestly, I was against wow. a wall. Someone was holding me up and I thought, I'm yeah. I'm going to die here. Yeah. Oh, man. I was in. I was like, <sighs> the offering is really, really sad. You know, at least... You know, there was, I mean, you know, when I was growing up, there was a lot of heroin around talking and there was people falling asleep in corners at the pub and, um, you know, there was there was the, the bad ones. But, you know, th- this has just gone to a whole nother level and, you know, and I... I um, no, yeah, my aunt's a psych nurse and she reckons yeah. take heroin over ice and all these other things uh, for any sure. day of the week. For sure, for sure. And, you know, for me, I mean, the, the greatest experience I had which I think there's a whole movement now which is waking people up. And, and I had a, an awakening on LSD when I was a kid and that changed my life forever. It kind of made me a bit half mad. I remember seeing half? Al Reed at, at Bells one day, um, the old surfing legend, you know, one of the first guys with Joe Sweeney and all that. And I, I told him, I said, yeah, I kind of I, I hear this other voice in my heart. And he looks at me, he goes, you're schizophrenic. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, check into the, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 it's really, it's yeah. really lovely voice. Yeah. It kind of says really nice Probably things to your me. intuition. He goes, you're yeah. schizophrenic, Glenn. <laughs> Glenn, get out of here. <laughs> check in. 
And I just followed that little voice. And that, that little voice, for me, is what everyone's doing now. They're, they're trying to access the, the God force, you know, type of, a, you know, I'm not a real super highly religious guy. but No, but I think the I, word God, it doesn't, it's not religious. No. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. It's a, it's Religion a is a whole different yeah. thing. It's- yeah, yeah. And all these people that are out now doing, you know, they're licking toads and they're doing ayahuasca and they're doing all these type of... Plant-based. Um, it's DMT yeah. kind of um, experimentations is that they, they are um, essentially, they're trying to break free of their mind and they're trying to get in touch with the God force or the, you know, the nameless one or the beloved or whatever you want to call him, her, whatever. Whatever it's, it is. It's, it's some infinite. energy. There's yeah, something happening. There's something out there. <laughs> and uh, it feels good. It, it's, it's got a lot more going for it than all these little records that whip around your bloody head most of the time. <laughs> and some of the old memories and essentially that's your karma and that's the shit you got to deal with and we're all here for different reasons. We all come for... for um, you know, to work that stuff out, supposedly. That's that's what some of this Vedic the journey you know, is the journey is to work on what's in your mind. And so to break free of it is a very wonderful thing because you can look at it and you're back from it. And I won't say that when I did have that awakening when I was in my mid twenties, that I was able to I still I mean I had that connection, what I thought was my intuition and my God force, but I also I had this sort of a detachment from aspects of my mind. But I still fell on numerous occasions into other addictive behaviours that, that, that they're so powerful and the, the voice can be so... Um, and, and, and some of those, like I said before, some of those subtle addictions can be so in the shadow or unconscious that you don't you don't see their work and they're very cheeky little buggers. And then there's the obvious ones, you know. Oh, I've got this, you know, sex addiction or I've got this drug addiction or I got this alcohol addiction or I smoke too much or I you know um I can't you know give up my job I'm I'm addicted to work I'm addicted to power I want money I want fucking greed you know I want to drive the biggest car and have the biggest boat I mean they're all addictions they're all they're all aspects of your mind and your uh records your karmic records that are driving you in a in a in a type of way that really at the end of the day you're just going to say goodbye to it when you fall in that six-foot fucking box, you know. And that's a hard thing to swallow. Um, but in between the six-foot box and your addictions is a place that, you know, you can you can be happy and you can keep it simple. And um, so those things are, you know, really important to get in touch with. So, yeah, some self-reflection and a bit of work is, is really nice, you know. It's hard um, to comprehend the uh, six-foot box. <laughs> you know, like uh, yeah. it's like fucking hell. Uh, I think about it all the time. And yeah. It's like, hmm. Yeah. Well, there's many. Like, there's many forms of death. You know, and, and that and the actual, the big one is when you you drop the body and you say goodbye to this vehicle that this Earth suit that you've had a whole lot of fun in. And um, but I think with those psychedelic experiences the dmts or whatever that the people are having now they're understanding that this is a long road you're a, you're a spark that is an eternal spark and the buddhists talk about it and all the mm. the um, hindus whatever um and so it's a much more comforting whether it's just a comforting thing or whatever but you you have you've had this inter eternal 
kind of aspect that um, that I drop this body and I get another body and I keep working on my karmic mind body, which supposedly the emotional body and the mind body you take with you. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, you're working back out of those bodies into the soul body and that's the chemistry of trying to, um, you know, be happy because the soul body is the bliss body and the happy body and the loving body and so all those things that you thought you needed that new car and that new you know 30 foot yacht or whatever (laughs) it's you know it's it's not as necessary as just being in the soul and being happy and going surfing and walking around nature or even if you just walk cliffs or you know walk up hills or you know and they say i was read somewhere the other day spend two hours a day in nature yeah just connect just do it and one of the great things that i got out of the hip thing was just um just walking you know because you know the it's just a wonderful a lot of you live in your legs and your thighs your testosterone your you know and it activates you know this kind of embodiment this energy in your in your base and when you're in that place when you're in those when the when you're back in your legs when you're back in your feet you're connected to the earth and you know all the earth people and all the indigenous people they all talk about walking you know, I'm going to walk across yeah, Australia. Yeah. Why are you going to do I'll that? Walk about. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm I'm going to go off and I'm going to embody again. I'm going to get out of my head, supposedly where all your thoughts and all that shit kind of lives, and I'm just going to get out of it. So, um, you know, if you're feeling shit, my advice out there: just go for a freaking walk, and it's easy. It's free. You don't have to go and pay 350 bucks for some membership to pump pump out some weights or <laughs> i don't know it's pretty no, simple yeah. stuff yeah so there's funny while we're on this track i picked up a friend from one ponds the other night she had a couple too many and needed a ride so i brought her back yeah and on the way back she started telling me about this she'd been doing plant-based stuff as mm. trying as you just said to find more to her life than yeah. this job this boot whatever she's going through and she said she had ayahuasca Mm. And she said she cried for a day. Yeah. And she said, and what I thought was really profound in the chat was she cried not from sadness, but she cried because she felt the connectivity of a, like, uh, the connection of her, like, galactic uh, ancestry. Yeah. Yeah. Like, all those gone before. Yeah. And her part in the chain. And it was just like this huge connection moment that just made life so much richer. Yeah. That yeah. I just was like, that is. Yeah. That's special. Yeah. And it's, I watched dad die four years ago, you know, and it was, it was a very sad day, you know, to say goodbye. Um, I feel him, you know, kind of still hanging around in some sort of ancestral spirit because I, I believe in that, you know, you get a bit of a choice to hang around and, you know, have some sort of influence. But still physically, when he was gone, you know, it's it's great. It's it's a great loss, and it's a great um, um, it's a, it's well, it's a great reminder of morta- of your mortality. But um, and you know, you're on that escalator, and that's and that and when I was sitting at Sparrows yesterday, I I realised, yeah, I'm 58, and I'm on that escalator, and I, geez, how, how long have I got? Ten years, twenty years max, maybe. If I'm you know, if I go and you know be plant-based and turn into a vegan and stand on my head for 14 hours maybe i'll get to 90 you know <laughs> um but at the end of the day i'm 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 in that 
I'm on that road and and it's it's really um, it's confronting and um, and because right now my eyes looking at you I'm still little case I'm still little 24 year old case that's pretty pumped and living in talking and living the dream and I'm still that guy isn't that weird though when you're younger you think mm. oh something's gonna happen and I'm gonna change yeah and you just fucking don't (laughs) you don't (laughs) I said that to dad I said dad you're you're 89 you nearly made the 90 and you you know you got a melanoma on the arm and I looked at him and I said so how old do you really feel how old are you on the inside he goes, mate, I'm 30. He goes, I'm, you know, I don't know where this 60 years went. And I said, it's crazy, Dad, isn't it? You know, like you you live in this world and you drop on this body, but you know, and you're nearly 90, but you don't feel it, and you want to do all that young stuff that you did, and you know, and uh, we had a little cry over that because you still, you know, you still you have these beautiful blue eyes, and he's looking at me, and I'm I'm thinking those eyes haven't changed. And that's the eye of the soul, supposedly, you know, and, and those eyes will... But but uh, he's going to leave us and he's going, you know. And and I think, you know, all those... Like when I was a kid, I had a lot of fear and a lot of... Um, uh, look, I was an unusual upbringing and, you know, I was born in the western suburbs and, you know, we were running from skinheads chasing us and, you know, all sorts of weird, wonderful, you know reptilian human beings that you know <laughs> wearing big 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 bricks on their feet and um scary looking haircuts and are they um, doc martens yeah, yeah big doc martens and connie kind of cardigans and and um and i you know we were we were kind of the essendon mob and there was about six of us and we all um we all sort of survived it you know we all came out of you know watching kids get beaten up at the, you know after school and you know, and, and we were doing all sorts of things. I, I went and learnt boxing because I was scared shitless that I was going to get beaten up. And um, and we played footy and we did all those, you know, n- normal kind of, you know, um, Western suburbs things. Look tough, you know, drink beer and, you know. And then we all found surfing. There was about six of us, you know. Um, so how did that – what was the – do you remember Well, that? I was fortunate enough that the kid that I – went to school with his parents had a house in Anglesey and um, his name was John Elam and his father and mother were both doctors really well off and they had this beautiful house in Anglesey and they sort of adopted me as their little their little mate um, I think they liked me more than their actual son they were like, <laughs> <laughs> he kept saying to me can we trade you for Johnny yeah. you know he's a cheeky little bugger <laughs> anyway we um, you know putting tickets on myself there but anyway yeah. we, um, we I, I found surfing and I remember coming home to mum when I was about Did Johnny 12. Surf? Nah, Johnny Johnny wasn't really into it, but his older brother was, David. Johnny had a go, but um and I my mum was a um well, was she was training to be an Olympic swimmer. And so she was born in Footscray and so she got got all of us into swimming. Your so mum. My mum. Yeah. Wow. And so she got an ear infection and her career got cut short, but she kind of dragged all of us three to the city baths every fucking Thursday night after dinner and we did all this squad training. Yeah. And so me and my brothers were like, you know, our school champions were winning all the swimming events and mum loved it. She lived she lived through that. It was just a really beautiful thing and we didn't realise it. I didn't realise it until I started teaching my – I got my daughter in squad training. I'm like, you're going to squad yeah. training. <laughs> this, is what, this is what mum wants, you know. <laughs> so anyway, we uh, – 
Yeah, so I um, basically, um, yeah, started, you know, swimming out to sea in Anglesey and the the Elams basically were like, oh, my God, he's gone out in a rip and he's, di- and he's dying, he's drowning, you know. <laughs> and I'm way out to sea just swimming around, you know, I'm 12 years old, I'm right out the back of all the breakers and not couldn't give a shit, you know. Never had much fear of, you know, really, really... Um, big seas and uh so i got or big I, fish yeah <laughs> that's right <laughs> you just don't think about it you know um, so those those um so anyway they sure enough i look over and here's this lifesaver you know on this board and i'm like well uh you know who are you you know and he's like mate you got to come in you know like you look like you look like you're okay i said yeah i'm fine and i swam in and they they bollocked me but Anyway, we had had a surfboard there and I, I, I started riding surfboards and I went home to mum and I said, oh, the Elams have got a surfboard, mum, and I love surfing. And we were going to indented heads for holidays and so mum's father died and she bought a caravan and we put it at um, Zealy Bay, um, that 1971, and um, that was it. Um, I bought a board off Ross Henderson, who was, was another Essendon boy, he, um, he made this board at school that had one straight rail and one curved rail and one weird, you know, marine ply wood fin in it. And, so it's sort um, of like before its time, asymmetrical. Eh? Way, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, like you know, what, what was his name? The, um, the Birch, Ryan Birch, eat your heart out. Um, and, and so Hendo made me this weird one. People used to laugh at me. I used to walk from Zealy Bay to the back beach and I'd see these cars bipping because the, the board was so weird. Um, anyway, I um, slowly progressed from there, you know, <laughs> um, and then yeah, eventually moved so, down. And um, who, who, uh, when you were like back then, mm. were you look? You obviously had some people that you're looking up to. Yeah, yeah. So I had basically I had Andrew Egan. Um, initially, initially we had a couple of guys around Essendon that kind of was driving us down and back. Um, and um, I got a job at the ammunition factory, and so you know, Eags had and um, Eags had come flying in. He was two years, three years older than me, and and then eventually my best mate, Mark Wild, Wilbur Wild. He was he was a year older than me. Um, so Eags used to drive us down and drive us back. Casey Egan's father, yeah, and then. Um, and then so there was a host of other there was Garth McGlinchey and um, Paul uh, yeah so Paul Hart and his brothers um, Adrian and um, uh, John and then the Hearts the Hearts had this amazing house down on Carnarvon Avenue so all of us went in and moved in there and you know that was the that was the debacle that was just was some really really funny times there was it was about you know, eight of us all living, you know. In this so little... you're about 18 here? <clears throat> I was about, yeah, 17, 18. And the other guys were in their 19s and they all had cars and we were getting lifts down and back. And then finally my mate Wilbur got a car and that was it. It was, you know. Yeah, you guys were independent. Yeah. And then my, my nan, it was funny because my nan uh, actually bought me an old EH and, um, uh, and I was still a year off getting my licence, but I'd... Um, Back then, you'd get away with it, but Wilbur would come around. He goes, what do you reckon we take the EH? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's take it. And I'd back it out of the drive. And I'd go, Mum, Wilbur's taking uh, the EH this weekend. We're going to share cars and get about 300 yards. And I'd go, get the fuck out of there. I'm driving. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd drive around, drive around all weekend, uh, come home, 
back to Melbourne. Um, wouldn't even see a cop, you know. And um, yeah, those those were the those those were the days. You could drink, you could do anything. No one had, no one was chasing you down. They weren't even looking at you, you know. But I, I'm sure they must have giggled some days. Um, but yeah, that was the start of it. And then we, I got I got the car, and um, and then yeah, about a year or so later. Um, got a little job at Rip Curl and you know the Eddie Eddie Hart Paul Hart got a job at Quickie just little, in the shop yeah yeah just in the retail with the uh, the late great Steve Perry um, wonderful human um, he was amazing he's is the best was he, he the shop manager he he was the shop manager yeah yeah and fun as like if you weren't laughing with the Pez man you were you know and um, you know he was he was always onto it you know, he was he was watching us tailgate. You know, the hot chick that was coming through, and he'd be going, "Hey, crocodile!" He used to call me crocodile because I'd, <laughs> I'd, if someone was looking at a, you know, bikini, I'd, uh, you know, I'd latch on pretty hard, and or or a wetsuit, I wouldn't let go. And then yeah, yeah, he yeah. goes, "Mate, you're you're unbelievable." He goes, <laughs> "You always came over with the cash." You know? <laughs> so he called me crocodile, um, and then yeah, I got a job as a sales rep and. Things must have been loose. I mean, when I worked in the, the Rip Curl store in the late 90s, and yeah. it was loose then. Yeah. I mean... It was loose. Yeah. It was loose. I mean, a couple of times, uh, you know, there was just every Friday night, there was a party, you know, there was, you know, pe- people having sex on the border and table and cocaine in most of the offices, and, and um, we're all in there. We're all going for it. And if you weren't crawling out of there... Or some of us had sleep under the, you know, under the clothing racks for the night. You know, it was, it was just, it was that, that was the time. You know, it was, it was really crazy. It was seriously sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and everyone was really open. Everyone was kind of like, wow, well, what the fuck? Let's just all have a good time." And, um, and yeah, and all of us kind of got through it, and we weren't, didn't get too damaged out of it. But we all, some of us, you know, some of the people turned into some of the management there and some of us walked I walked away about nine years later and started up my own agency and um, um, got out of there but um, you know and formed my own independence and um, instead of you know getting paid and I was always frightened Sing Ding would see me out bells more than him you know like you're meant to be selling wetsuits case what are you doing out there you know I'd be sneaking around the back streets you know trying to hide uh but I don't think he cared, you know, I think he was stoked, you know. I was out there making a bit of noise for the curl. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um but yeah, and then, you know, all those all those that early period, um yeah, you had having Wayne walk through the door and and, and getting Wayne's wedding out from Sparrow out the back and giving it to Wayne and um and Morris and, you know, all the old legends, you know. Um and I was really keen on going down the down south and surfing, and um, Morris was making my boards at the time, and he threw me in the car a couple of times, and we went surfing. And um, then one day I went down with with Wayne and Morris, and they um, they drove me down to this quiet little place, and they were windsurfing at the time, and they they said, "Come on, you know." And um, they were windsurfing. They were windsurfing. Both of them were windsurfing. They took me right out the back of this reef that still today they say you were the first guy to to surf it um, and uh still a quiet little reef down the coast and uh, i was sitting out there almost crying out to sea on this sort of bommy and they were flying past me on these windsurfers and i'm on this little <laughs> five eight you know little 
little double fly or swallow, Morris, you know. And them laughing, I could hear them laughing, going, oh, my God. Now I paddled in past this kind of rock when these birds were swooping on me and I was just like, oh, you know. Yeah. It was the, one of those freaky, scary yeah, kind yeah. of stories you never forget. But, yeah, and that that's how I got to know Wayne and now long, long association with, you know, Wayne and our little four musketeers, you know. It was all – we all had the same passion and the same love for, you know, that um, – you know, 100 or 120 kilometres of coastline down there where we, you know, we'd go and drive on the beach and camp there the night and get an open fire and surf and then wake up and, you know, get another surf and, you know, um, it was a good life. It was really good, you know. Like you said, you know, everyone should have two hours of nature a, a day. We were getting, you know, <laughs> two days of it, you know, and then coming back and working and coming back into the material world and, yeah, it was it was pretty special days. They were the best. They were the best surfing days of my life. Were the sort of mid eighties through to yeah, kind of like the late nineties. It was really was really quiet and special, and no one was kind of really you know attacking it. And we found other little spots, and we just had it was just a really nourishing group of people too. You know, you can imagine surfing with Simon and Wayne. These worldly such strong identities, such amazing. The, yeah. Like, and then um, this wild kind of, you know, awesome guy, Darbs, you know, who's, you know, he was kind of like the Viking of our group and, you know, he, he was such a good surfer. And, yeah, so it was a really nice little little posse of, you know, friendship that really, really nourished us. So know. when did you get the place in Torquay Boulevard? I got that. I My first house was on the Great Ocean Road and I just to divert a bit was um, I, I got that in eighty. One, my mum and dad said, you must buy a house. So yeah. I got that for $43,000. It was Gary Crothall, the old drummer out of, um, he owned it, um, what was his uh, band? Uh, oh, that. Um, Local band? No, nah, it, uh, it was a pretty big band. He was, he was an amazing drummer, Gaz. He was the warehouse manager for Rip Curl. Anyway, got that house for 43000 and then, um, and then, yeah, sold that for yeah, like ninety grand or something. Um, and then I bought uh, Simon Simon's brother Dewey Buttonshaw. I bought that little yurt, little octagon down there on the creek. Was that uh, his place? Before yeah, yours? that was Dewey's. And Dewey was a, a boat builder um, and a very talented carpenter. And um, but he travelled on boats a bit like their father, who was the you know, the big um, Spanish Revolution kind of war guy, you know. He's, yeah, yeah. I met Harvey a few times. Um, and uh, and he he um, he went through Mongolia and saw the yurt. So he brought the whole yurt thing back in the 80s and made sort of, or I would say it was probably some of the first yurts in Australia. You know, he did that roundhouse um, and then he built the double-story round bit So is the that back. What, what, what a yurt is? It's, it's an eight-sided octagon. It's... Um, and it's basically the the Mongolians because they're nomadic. They they lift, um, and it's it's sort of wood walls, but somehow it all clicks together. And they lift it up and put it on their little donkeys or whatever, and then and they they walk the sheep off down into the um, uh, the next. You know, it's like um, you know when when you do that type of cattle free range cattle grazing that type of thing. They were nomadic people, so so he brought that back and. Um, and then that's, I bought that off him, 
and and then I went and did that. Nineteen about nineteen ninety, I went and built. I went and bought land in the Otways, twenty acres in the in the middle of nowhere in the bush. And everyone thought I was just going to get fried, you know, you know. Ash Wednesday had been through oh, um, right. ten Fuck. years earlier, but yeah. um, and um, but I was inspired again by um, Harvey and Joy Buttonshaw, who um, had a house probably you know, a couple of k's down the road up at Lavers Hill in the bush there, and um, so I could I, I just always wanted to be in the trees and and you know hang out um, in the, in the bush, so. Um, so yeah, Did that place have a bath, an outdoor bath, at my place. Yeah, um, yeah. I know Darbs had an outdoor bath. Oh, I, maybe it was Darbs. Yeah, place. Darbs had an outdoor yeah, okay. bath. I, I had, um, I kind of spent a lot of time collecting rocks, and I made this really amazing fireplace. And um, but yeah, so yeah, that was the start of. You know, before that, we just dug it out, and me and Wayne put a few caravans on there, and we had some friends that. Um, you know, uh, would come down and visit, and then um, yeah, my mate Pin, his his mum and dad went down there and um, and built it, helped me build it, um, and then Pin's old man a builder. Pin's dad was yeah, yeah uh, his father-in-law. Mm. Um, okay. uh, Dave Davy Piercy, he was um, an absolute champion um, guy. Um, and uh, and then yeah, basically, I got this kind of dodgy plumber to put my my flue in 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 my fireplace, and it caught fire. Came from absolute perfect surf um, down there, and rolled in and late one night, and put the put the hoodie on and lit this big fire and went to sleep. And about two in the morning, I wake up and the whole room's on fire, and it's well the top of the room, but thankfully. A lot of the air was just pushing up into the top yurt. I had a yurt, uh, double yurt, and so it was burning up in there, but it started burning through the walls, and the smoke had just come down enough um, to hit this fire um, detector, and, oh. and it just got enough smoke one. for it to turn on. But I thought it was this old rip curl watch yeah. I had, <laughs> and I was like, shit, I can't remember setting the alarm at 2 a.m. in the morning, and I'm going... And then I looked up and I had my – we didn't have power. We were all – it was gas lanterns and it was pretty basic. And I turned a, turned a torch on and I looked in the room and I hear this crackling and I look up and the whole room's full of smoke. And um, You are fucking lucky. Yeah, I was, I was about um, – well, the CFA guy said you were about an hour away from death. You know, you were, you were on the way out, pal. He said, thank God that fire detector thing was there. And even though it was just sitting sort low. of low yeah. – um, it did grab it and um, did did go off. So, um, yeah, it was curtains for me. And uh, so I uh, yeah sat out um, on the on the front lawn and watched it burn. But I it, we saved it and um, and fixed it up. And oh, you did? I, yeah, I had that same house um, which I only sold three years ago. Which yeah, that was the the um, yeah as I said yeah the best the best days of my life in living in the Otways and I spent. A little office there, and it was you know where you could work remotely. So I'd come back and do a few ma- emails and make a few calls, and then I'd shoot off and go and chase waves. And and um, yeah, it was kind of like the sting, you know. It was like yeah, yeah. yeah the, the great, the, the great. Where are you? Yeah. Where are you, Case? What are you doing? I'm in the other office. <laughs> I 
I'm running a $10 million, you know, clothing agency with three or four brands and somehow pulling it off, you know, living down there and quite so, a lot. I know you're intrinsically with sort of tied in with Patagonia. I don't know how yeah. it works, but yeah, was that one of the – how did that – Yeah, well, Patag- Patagonia came out of um, – well, initially they chased Wayne as an ambassador, uh, a fellow called Rick Ridgeway, and um, – and then I'd heard about it a little bit um, before then, just on a philosophical level um, that, you know, they were, and it was purely because I was around that yurt. I was trying to save a few logging coops um, with some people down there. And um, and one of the guys actually said to me, oh, you should check out Patagonia. They actually give money away to help people fight, you know, save, save um, and preserve, you know, some natural places and i said oh shit i'll so i was only checking it out a little bit and then we had um dave parmenta um and andrew kidman and and wayne and we all went out on on wayne's yacht and um and wayne said oh yeah 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 Yeah, i love that brand sounds sounds good yeah i'll talk to him and um so wayne spoke to them and then he said oh look you know they're after an australian distributor and um and i was pretty well over the surf industry it it had gone fairly deep and wide and fairly greedy and everyone was doing flagship stores and and so I I was really keen to get out and do something of my own and um so yeah we flew over in 2007 late 2007 and sort of was trying to convince them to to give us the um and they kind of wobbled for a while and then finally they came to us about yeah like march or something in 2008 said look we're going to send a guy over and we'll have a talk and then they gave it to us um his name was huntley dornan and he was the godson of yvonne chenard and and so yeah we kicked it off in australia with the talker talker was our first store and is that the first one in australia yeah that was the first one in australia and, and the ethos was just as strong yeah from the ground from the start yeah it, it had a it had a deep um you know the first day we went or the first conference that we went to you know i was sitting there going oh my god how good is this company you know they were giving money away one percent of you know top line sales um they're calling it an earth tax but they ended up forming a thing called one percent for the planet and then yeah they basically um that still exists yeah yeah and they've given i mean it's i don't know it's like they've given away like 200 million dollars um, two hundred million dollars to people protecting and preserving their backyards. You know, like what we're doing here and fighting for the bite and the craziness that you know the whole bottom of Australia is in a sanctuary. You know, because it it feeds so much uh, life and and enjoyment for everyone. You know, and and that some you know company in Norway are allowed to come in and potentially upset that um, ecosystem. And anyway. Um, why are we so fucked? Why are we so fucked? Why are we? Why is it so important to follow the whole fossil fuel philosophy? <laughs> is ridiculous because it's really protected by it's, a small number of families, and you know it's just ridiculous. The smart, sorry, okay, off. But the smartest yeah. guy I know said to me literally a month ago, "If we're not off coal soon, yep, best case scenario, best case, Mad Max is here in twenty years." Yeah, yeah. I had Yvonne Chenard sit me down um, 
years ago and said, look, all of his – because he sits with the best scientists in the world. You know, they they revere his work and, and him privately – I mean, maybe I shouldn't say this, but him private he gives a lot of money of his own private money to fund people for research. Um, you know, I know he's he's going to need a bit of trouble with Sea Shepherd because he, you know, threw him a whole heap of money. And then why went, can't you do that? Well, uh, you can, but um, the mafia in Japan got hold of the um, information, and then they started harassing staff in Japan. And you mean like the um, the what are they called? Triads? Uh, something like that, yeah. Yakuza. Yeah, yeah, the Yakuza, right. So so the, 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 these simple little, you know, shop assistants are going home and getting confronted around corners by these, you know, and getting um, all sorts of, you know, you know, no tuna heads put on their front doors and, you know, it was just, as far as I know, I mean, don't, I mean, I don't know the actual, but I, I remember that kind of going on, but, you know, the level of, you know, just, you, you think of, you know, it, I mean, that's a cultural kind of historical thing for a country. And sure, I can, you know, whatever. Um, but when it comes down to it, you know, there is this kind of, um, you know, this pool of people that are maintaining fossil fuels, you know, to pocket, you know, most of the cash themselves and causing wars and doing all sorts of, things to to maintain that system i know we can't get out of there quickly renewables you can't take on renewables as quick as we'd all like but you know we can't all be driving solar cars and a a new tesla and being like elon musk or whatever you know and and but there is a there's no indication that you know the australian government are going to come out and go all right well here's major benefits if you get solar hot water and put solar on your roof and we can wipe out i don't know this huge this huge percentages um of power which we don't have to rely on coal and we don't have to rely on you know the fossil fuels and you know i mean patagonia make plastic clothing you know everyone's using and abusing no one's denying that um but at least Patagonia are recycling most of their plastics. They've put it out there, and it is time to turn turn and turn it around. But at the end of the day, they're, they're, it's it's conscious capitalism, and you got to be conscious about what and how you you know, and having ethics. You know, you've got to. And most of these people have no ethics that are sitting at the top of our government chain, and um, and so it's it's where like. As Yvonne Chenard quoted, revolution starts at the bottom. Yeah, so yeah. we, the people, and that's and I love what Sean Doherty and Heath Josky and all these amazing guys are putting it on the line because they're copping a lot of shit, mm. and you do. And you watch all this stuff in the past and people, you know, disappear off the planet because they're too big a voice and they're making too much noise and all of a sudden they're in a six-foot box and they're over there. And so, you know, the the thing that, you know, it's admirable that, you know, these guys are just and, – and the power of social media and the power of the internet and all these uprisings, you know, in the in the tech world are allowing us all to um, get information a lot quicker and hopefully. Um, and then um, they're doing a little run up the coast at the moment and going through all these different um, little towns, surf towns, and hopefully as surfers that we can, you know, we can make people aware that – Climate change is real, and it is going to get worse, like you said. And there's all sorts of things that 
we got to do about it? I looked at the paper the other day because I, I don't have the free to air thing. So I was trying to work, and I didn't look at the paper, I looked at the internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was trying to get a gauge of these fires, right? Yeah. I'm like, okay, let's just fucking have a look. So I was trying yeah. to have a look and see, like, because there's a lot of hoo ha, but I yeah. couldn't get any yeah. real what was happening. And so I clicked on, and the first thing I looked at, it was the fucking Herald Sun, and they were poo pooing anyone that thought climate change had anything to do with. Yeah. the warming of and the blah 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 and it was yeah. just real apparent that it was a real is an us and them yeah 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 like, yeah there's a, yeah there's definitely oh it's really it's it, it's really de- well I, I try not to get too depressed about it because it's kind of the world that we live in and it's and it is full of um what i i don't know i'd hate to label them as unevolved but i think some of them are very evolved and they're very they're very sneaky and they want a lot of this money for themselves. And well, either they see the end is near and they go, well, fuck it. Yeah. I'm going to get the red Ferrari and the blow because mm. um, it doesn't matter either way which way I go. Yeah, exactly. Back to the red Ferrari. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or they just have the blinkers on they don't see it. I don't know. Yeah. But I don't think that that is because we're all pretty smart inherently, yeah. I think. I, I, I kind of, you know, and I... After my little psychedelic kind of period in the in the eighties, I I would say that I came out of the box. You know, I feel like, and I feel like a lot of people live inside. Um, you know, two of the greatest influences on you know human in the in the uh, in the evolution of of humanity is that they live in great deceit, which is and and they live in great fear. And the two things that happen when you when you get out of the box, when you do the DMT or whatever, um, the people are you. You have to be very honest, and when you find your soul, um, you want to protect nature, and you want to. You really want to, um, you know. And you break through fear, and you, you, it's all going to be okay. Um, I look at my daughter, and I'm. That's about the only thing I'm. I'm frightened of is just her waking up on her thirtieth birthday with her couple of kids, and you know. It's five, six, seven degrees hotter and, you know. So, I mean, that's maybe a little fear, but at the end of the day, I can't live with myself. I can't sit there. And a lot of people have a go at me on social media but um, for saying things or doing things, but I can't sit there on my deathbed and look her in the eye and What's say, flack dear cop? I didn't do enough, you know. I saw, I'm sorry, I didn't, yeah. I didn't stand up for you. I didn't do what was needed in my generation and I, I just I want to I want to do that. I, I want to make sure that I can look her in the eye and say I I did what I had to do, and I did what I needed to do to make your life just that little bit better. I want you to come down and go for a swim at some beautiful cove, you know, you know down the coast, and it'd be still sort of the same. Um, and you're allowed to go there. It's not you know, and I, I want that to happen for you. I I don't. You know, yeah, and you haven't gone through facial recognition ten yeah. times to get there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Drunk. And, and um, you know, so, but yeah, Patagonia has been an incredible, another major influence and a great teacher. And you know, I've been privileged to have my time there and and be um, a part of those, um, you know, philosophical. It's a it's a major major 
group of like-minded soulful people it's it's beautiful it's 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 the blueprint for you know what most companies should be focusing forward with you know everyone should have a little environmental department in there whatever however however big there should be a conscience in the company that says all right we're, we're We've got to do a little bit for someone, for something, men's mental health, or you know, um, let's let's build a bridge over that, you know, that beautiful lake. So you know, and you know, let's help maintain that lake. But whatever it is, um, I think it's really important that we um, we have that consciousness and we that awareness. We rock solid people. Like everyone I know that works for Patagonia is just solid. Yeah, yeah, and it's a big process. It's you know, you've got to have people that are in the same as I said you know the same kind of working when I, I hate to use the word soul but it's it's it is it's really it's but it's it's just being conscious it's just being conscious of your own behaviors and working on certain things that um that you're contributing you're we're all contributors you know I'm driving around in a car and driving you know riding a nice surfboard and um you know got nice you know down jackets that are made of plastic you know so but you know at the end of the day um let's just be conscious of how we're our our own footprint you know are you buying some good soaps you know are you using better detergents are you recycling are you you know can you just cut back a little bit you know one thing Mm. drives me fucking wild yeah (laughs) well it's more than one but i'll just pick one (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy with ten. If yeah. you want to give me ten, <laughs> fucking recycling. Yeah, I don't think I think I've said it before. It doesn't. It's <laughs> the biggest facade that's getting out. You know they don't. You know this, right? Yeah, yeah. We, you look down the street. Everyone's got their recycling bins out, like good fucking people. Yeah, and it's going into landfill next to the other <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. There's no back end. That's a mind fuck yeah. for me. Yeah, it's yeah. Like they, mm. what is the pro? Just put it in one fucking bin. <laughs> Yeah. Because it's going in one fucking hole. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. a lie. Yeah, yeah. And that's, again, that's, you know, that's the government not having a good... Because I, I, because I have moved north, um, that uh, and when I had the Patagonia shop in Byron Bay, we made, it, we made an effort to separate our soft plastics and hard plastics and certain things. And, and some of those things, we'd, we'd take it to my house and I'd chuck it in my trailer and I'd drive it out to Lismore, who was one of the only... You know, council um, dumps that would um, that took soft plastics, and then they were recycling um, and and you know t- uh, taping all their uh, old plastics up, and they were um, now sending them off to, which was a really nice thing. But I rarely hear of any other, you know, any other dumps that are um, you know tips or whatever that are, are doing. It. I don't know. I, I I think they're all having a bit of a rethink and, and all that but it's what you do with your rubbish and and most of it yeah just goes into the front of a bulldozer and it gets pushed into a big hole and you know on we go it's like shoving it under the carpet you know and when there was working the yellow bin was working yeah it was going to china or something yeah they were buying it off us yeah but what were they doing with it that's right that's right and i i tell you i met a fascinating um old well the originator of firewire nev nev hyman and he was he had this whole company set up that he wanted to come around and collect all the, the plastics out of everyone's front yard. And he, he said, look, the whole recycling thing's a hoax, you know. He goes, I just want everything put in one big bin and we'll work it all out. And then he was getting it and, um, and then 
he had these major um, uh, melting melting um, polymer melting factories, and they they were breaking it down and and basically building houses out of it. And he was he showed me this video of them in um, uh, Vanuatu that they they'd actually uh, built. Um, it was virtually a village out of plastics, and they were beautiful, like houses with louver windows and decks and floors and walls and everything else and it was just oh my god somebody give this guy 10 million dollars and get him going because he's just gonna and that's the sort of stuff that is frustrating because that's what the government could be doing and that's what you know we we could all be funding in you know you just see where your tax money's going and it's just, you know, it's going into their, you know, their meal budget and their red Ferrari and their <laughs> back to the red Ferrari. Eh? <laughs> but um, but yeah, the the the, you know, where where we're where we're going, it's a very very slow turn. It's a big ship, and it is a slow it is a slow turn, and uh, the the government does not help that slow turn into, you know, being more conscious and 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 yeah hopefully it'll happen but um, so, yeah, so this hoping. sunday there's another paddle out right is that right so sunday um there's a paddle out down here um and there's one oh, we're tr- i think patagonia trying to get a paddle out on most of the um beaches um they're doing this head of the bite which is i think it comes down to some final decision that um they finally, um, the government's going to make a final decision on whether they're going to allow Equinor to drill in the bite. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're basically now rolling up the coast all the way to Burley. I'm actually going to meet them up, up the coast in Yamba. Um, but, yeah, there's paddle outs at Byron. There's paddle. So if you want to design your own paddle out, you know, we urge everyone just to get um, and that's building awareness and that's bring, bringing people together to talk about it because it's really just education in the end. I'm lucky. I have 10 years with Patagonia that I got educated on where all this stuff's going and a really clear picture that, yeah, like you said, in 25 years we're in trouble, you know, and um, and I'm hopefully going to be around in 25 years with my new hips mm. and, you know, my um, <laughs> non-drinking. <Upside> down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just being a vegan. <laughs> Um, and so at the end of the day, we we hope that some of these bigger issues um, that um, we can all get together as a community. And as I said, revolutions start at the bottom and we're the people and we have to stand up and finally put your hands down your pants, grab your balls yep. and if I can go and say something and, and be, be on top of it because um, it's all going to be too late when you know when there is and undoubtedly you know these oil spills happen in very 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 calm very benign oceans that one out there i mean you've seen it mate it's it can be 30 foot next thursday roaring 40s it's the roaring 40s it's wildest ocean in the world and they want to drill there and 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 look where that oil's going it's going virtually it looks like it goes as far as sydney when it wraps and you know these these things can spit out oil for you know a month before they get it under control so anyway um you know get get down there and support your local beach and your um and damien cole um i think he is he's out there um 
pretty pretty hard hitting um, local politician for Karangamite and and keep an eye on him. He's he's really passionate about it, and it's good having all that coal energy going into the right. You know, go demo, go demo. <laughs> um, he's he's got a lot of lot of um, passion, and that's good. He's channeling it and he's putting it into some good stuff. And um, so hats off to Damo and and all those guys. You know, and uh, um, so yeah. Well, that's, that's a, the, yeah. I think that's a pretty good. Uh, Is that enough? I think that's it. <laughs> uh, oh, 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 it's great. Are you happy? I'm happy. Yeah. Yes. Lovely. Thank you so much. Thanks, Johnny. Well, that was awesome. Cheers. Thanks. Mike cool. Mike Ciao. Okay. Well, there you have it. There was my chat with Case. Um, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed talking to him. Um, just, you know. What a guy, really. Um, honoured to have him in the house. Um, honoured to know him. Case, keep up the good work. Whoever you are out there in the big, vast, wide world of Earth listening, um, I hope you're having a nice day. And I hope this conversation has made you, you know, um, somehow reflect on your own internal battles and, and, and in turn, you know, think about maybe... What the fuck is going on here on in uh, on Earth at the moment? You know, like it feels, you know, I've been called by friends as oh, you're just a worst case scenarioist. You know, you're just a uh, you're just a Debbie Downer. But like, uh, maybe I am, maybe I am. But it feels like if we don't do something soon, we're on. Uh, it's fucked though, because who really wants to change that much? But anyway, hey. It's good to think. It's good to think. Keep the eyes open. Keep thinking. Hopefully answers will appear. All right. Until next time, take it easy.